Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of DirtyOldMen.tv. This is episode number seven. I believe I am Simon, and uh, my cohort and good friend, Mr. Colin Roundtree, as usual, joining me to my left or my right. I always get that wrong. I'm really sorry. I'll get it right someday. Uh, we have an awesome guest today, uh, Ms. Kate. Uh, I, I don't know too, too much about her, so I'm going to actually turn it over to Mr. Colin to, uh, to do the introduction today, as I am woefully unprepared. <laughs> well, you're, you're never woefully unprepared, <laughs> but uh, I'll punt, punt this one for us. Um, in my many years in the industry, I've been going to these um, trade shows, Avion and Expos, on and Why Not?, and you always meet all kinds of interesting people that in anything from pornographers to filmmakers to adult stars to, you know, people running traffic and merchant accounts and things like that. And it's always fascinating who shows up. And this last, maybe uh, it was about a year and a half ago, I think, um, I was at a show. And one of the more fascinating people that have ever graced our presence um, coming to these shows showed up. And her name is Kate Darling. Um, Kate. Is it, was a, actually, uh, it was a half a year ago. Was it a half? Was it only that? It oh was January. God. God, it seems like so long. Time flies. When <laughs> but you're I say fun. that in a good way, though. Um, Kate, Kate is a, um, um, a, a researcher from MIT um, that came to an adult show to take a look at intellectual property protection, piracy, the issues surrounding that, specific to adult entertainment um, intellectual property. And Instantly, you you know you would think that someone coming out of academia would be sort of nerdy and boring and whatever, but Kate just jumped right in with both feet, um, with you know my colleagues in the industry to start learning to see what's going on, um, and has been you know coming to various shows ever since. So Kate, I'm going to turn it over to you and maybe just do a little back background on you know where you're from, how you ended up at MIT, how you ended up with this project, the scope of the project, and we'll just take her from there. So, Kate, off you go. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, you guys. It's an honor to be in your show. Oh, it's, we're very pleased to have you. Oh, it's <laughs> the first time that we've had anyone. No, actually, we've had uh, Ava from Academia as well. So you're the second one. But the second one always does better than the first, so you're good. <laughs> nice. Nice save. Um, okay. So anyway, yes, as you mentioned, Colin, I'm a research specialist at MIT and I do intellectual property research and I'm also doing a PhD in intellectual property and innovation policy and that's kind of how I got um, involved with this industry is, is because I have a project about how the industry has dealt with all of the copyright enforcement difficulties over the past, well especially over the past five, six years. Um, but ever since like the internet happened uh, obviously that completely changed the world of not just this industry but a lot of content production industries and entertainment industries so um, since I've always been so fascinated with innovation and the way that that law shapes innovation I, I started wondering one day like how is how is the adult entertainment industry dealing with all of this stuff because uh, it, it's common lore that this industry is always, you know, on the on the forefront of technology adoption. That they always not only weather every change, but like do better with with every new technological disruption. And they're always like the first to adapt. And so I started looking into what this industry had been doing, and found that there was no academic research at all, or hardly any, 
about it. Sorry to cut, cut, cut you off for a second, but do you think that's because it's it's kind of a taboo topic that no one wants to attach their name to it? In which case, you're you're kind of like a pioneer and pretty brave for attaching your name to something involved in the adult industry. Does that have anything to do with it, or? Well, either brave or stupid, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right. I mean, I'm not. I'm not the first person to ever research it. Of course, there's there's tons of research on the the social issues surrounding the industry, and there's also been some like, but but really little like economic or legal research um, that's more value neutral and looking at it as a business. And I mean, the only explanation that I have for that really is is uh, the same thing that the people. I mean, when I when I first proposed this project everyone thought it was really great from a research perspective but they did warn me that I there I was in danger of, of uh, not being taken seriously or even ruining my career for delving into this subject so <laughs> whether or not that happens or whether it works out well for me we will see but I, I decided to pursue it anyways because I really think that it's an interesting research subject yeah well, I mean great gains can only be gotten with great risk right like you are you are taking a pretty big risk in terms of your career because this will kind of be attached to your resume, I guess, forever, right? Um, but in the in the other sense, I mean, personally, maybe this is because I'm in the adult industry, but maybe you know, to me, that says like you know, I'd rather have someone with the the cojones to do something like this, uh, you know, work with me than than not. I mean, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, can you explain maybe exactly what your career is for those that might not know? Because, like, we know that you're researching something in the adult industry in terms of copyright and stuff. What, like, what, like, what's your job description? What <laughs> kind of like what what do you actually do? Let me let me let me do a little side let me do a little sidebar here before we go into the next question. Um, and hopefully, I'm not telling tales out of school, Kate. But you know, we're we're back and forth, you know, emailing and skyping and things like that. And you sent me just recently, you know, within the last four or five days, a thread where you were being flamed by a tenured academic professor, a woman, um, who literally said, "I puke on your shoes." <laughs> Not only that, but she I mean, insinuated she she insinuated that I was being paid by the pornographers for this research, to which I was just like. I could have gotten paid for this. Why didn't anybody <laughs> tell me? Where's my check, Colin? Right on. No, okay, but like I'm kidding, right? Like in all seriousness, <laughs> I'm not paid to do this by by anyone. That um, would be kind of silly. I mean, to 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 take a risk on something, and then to basically take another even bigger risk of ruining whatever reputation you know you do have, like by taking money from the target like it doesn't make it would make absolutely no sense whatsoever to that's that's no, i mean if i were interested in money i would be a lawyer i went right. to law school right i i wouldn't be in academia where we are all not in it for the money we're in it for our ego issues <laughs> many of the same reasons why people join the adult industry normally <laughs> whether it be too high or too low but Kate, Kate is interesting because it's almost like if you've seen the movie um, uh, Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio, where movie. first he's an airline pilot and then he's a doctor and then he's a lawyer 
You know, Kate is similar. I mean, don't you but have like a legit. medical degree and a law degree? And <laughs> I don't have a medical degree. Are from Switzerland degree. and stuff? It's I have this really rash crazy. on my inner thigh. Can I show it to you on webcam? Maybe like, can you diagnose I'm not, me? I'm not, no, not even a doctor of social sciences yet. We'll okay, see if that right. even happens, depending on whether my PhD is accepted. And this project is part of my PhD. Okay, cool. So um, we're gonna be able to call you doctor when when this comes out. Hopefully, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Dr. Um, Darling. So back to yeah, Simon's question. Yeah, what back is, to Simon's question. What is it question. you do in the hallowed halls of MIT? Do you crunch <laughs> numbers? Do you... What do you do? <laughs> except, occasionally, except occasionally get entertaining uh, sample packs from adult uh, novelty product manufacturers. To, I wish. To, yeah. the, <laughs> to, to the delight of your colleagues when it shows up on your desk. <laughs> um, so, well, I actually have, well, three, three lives right now. Um, my actual job that I'm paid to do at MIT is their, the MIT Media Lab is rethinking their intellectual property policies. So what they do with the, with the cool stuff that they invent and how they can better get it out to the world and how they can create a system that lets them share all of their cool inventions. And so they brought me in to work on that project and I'm a field researcher for that. And so uh, on the side, I'm doing a PhD still. Um, I expect to finish in February. So it's my fourth year. And um, the PhD is based in Switzerland at the ETH, and and the porn project is, is part of the PhD. So the third thing that I do is I've recently gotten into um, the area of robot ethics and the intersection of robotics and law. So I've been I, I wrote a paper and I, I lectured on on robot rights, and so that's that's the other thing that I do right now. Um, I that's already been done though. Like I, I, that might kind of just be a waste of time. Was it Isaac Asimov? The, <laughs> With the, the three th laws. Yeah, the three laws. So I mean, is that not a waste of time? Maybe that, you know, Isaac's kind of like forty years ahead of you or whatever. It is. No, is I there mean, a lot more involved? Obviously, like. I, I have a slightly different approach to the issue of of robot rights, and there are a lot of new questions, like robot ethics questions, with the social robots that we're developing now. Right. Which I could talk to you guys about for two hours if you want to. We're gonna do but another podcast about robotics. That's <laughs> yes, I I am cool with that. We will do that at some point. We I guess we gotta and, keep and it maybe the porn we, maybe on this we one, can but... uh, merge the two topics and. Um, oh my Lord. Once we get to adult entertainment robots. Yes, uh, we'll have Cal, Exo uh, Cal Exotics back on. Yeah. <laughs> have, have a meeting of the minds. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell us more about the research that you're doing specific to the porn industry. And, and, and what have you found out, as it were? Right. So, I mean, the, the idea behind this project was, or the intuition was, well, uh, there has been so much piracy online because... Well, let's, okay, let's back up a little. I mean, the whole architecture of the internet is basically designed to, to share and copy digital files, right? So when the internet happened, um, our, our current like copyright laws aren't really well equipped to deal with this situation. And so all industries have, uh, that have moved online have started struggling with the, with the issue of piracy. And so um, for adult entertainment, my, my intuition was that by now, with the tube sites and all the file sharing and everything, it must be so hard to enforce copyrights that probably that's not enough to, to recoup investment costs of producing content. So I was like, okay, so how, wh what are they doing? Like, how are they continuing to produce content 
and what other strategies have they found to deal with this really difficult situation online. And so I went and, and I talked to a bunch of the producers, including Colin, uh, about what, what they were doing, how they were dealing with it. And um, it, was, it was very interesting. Um, I did find that even though a lot of producers do still try to enforce their copyrights, um, they basically across the board everyone agreed that that's definitely not enough. It's not a cost-effective way of making, like recouping costs. So people have started trying to sell people convenience goods. There's been a, a major shift in the industry towards more kind of experience goods like live chat, etc. Um, people are trying to move into the mobile market and and really trying to capitalize on things that consumers are so willing to pay for um, and and less trying to like stick to the old business model of you produce content and you sell that content and that's how you make your money. Yeah, and for you know for the last you know at least the last three or four years, uh, pre-recorded video content has become more and more of a loss leader. Um, you know, you we basically give it away you know, strategically to actually increase branding, increase product awareness, and, you know, still try to get the person sufficiently impressed with the quality of it that they'll actually go buy the pre-recorded stuff. But this entire thing of, you know, if you go to any of these tubes, you know, they're not advertising pre-recorded video membership products. You're getting 25 live Jasmine pop-ups, right. pop-unders in your face that eventually shut down your computer. <laughs> um, have you seen, are there any parallels to this in any, like in the music industry or whatever of just, of using pre-recorded premium content as a loss leader to lead people off to other forms of monetization? Uh, I think it's pretty unique to this industry, actually. I mean, I haven't studied other industries extensively, but um, I think that there are also a lot of um, very, like, industry-specific factors that kind of uh, make this industry different in in the ways that it can capitalize on certain things. Mm -hmm. um, so, for instance, like it, it seems to me, and you you probably know more about this than I do, be, having been in the industry for what seventeen years now. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this this is probably going to turn into like another me interviewing you thing, because <laughs> as that, I read fine. the paper, like I have more. <laughs> we do, more we do that well too. <laughs> Uh, but it, it seems to me that um, back before the tube sites came up, when when um, a lot of the piracy was just file sharing, uh, it was comparatively easy for content producers to compete with the the file sharing sites because it, it was just like it's it's a hassle to go sift through free stuff to mm -hmm. to download it. You're not you're not sure what you're getting. A lot of the files are corrupted. And one of the thing that things that is special about consumers of adult entertainment is that they're very impatient, right? They, they want to consume immediately. It's not like, oh, I'm downloading Radiohead's new album and it'll take four hours, but whatever, then I'll have it. It's like, I want it now. So I think people, like back in 2004 or so, I think people were still doing really well in being able to sell people convenience online. Like the, I don't know, you tell me, right? I mean, the, the, the real hit didn't happen until maybe five or six years ago with the tube sites. The tube sites changed everything. And it's, uh, and it's because uh, I think, well, obviously it started with YouTube and basically that trained everyone how, like even my grandma knows how to log on to YouTube and you click play on the player that, of the video that you want to watch. You know, it's, it's pretty 
simple stuff to watch something on YouTube. And therefore, like, I mean, for the exact reasons that you're talking about, you can log on to, you know, any uh, porn tube site and it's literally just a click away. Like there's no downloading torrents or dealing with any form of technology aside from a browser. Like uh, it, it's pretty intense. So, just so I think click that has a big gray button. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that obs- had a huge thing to do with it. I think it's also and, and tell me if you maybe disagree, but I think the variety uh, that you can find on, on tube sites is, is a pretty big uh, issue, um, I think, because it's it's pretty easy to see like a whole range of directors and, and girls and stuff. So um, that's definitely part of the problem. But at this point, it's not even that's not even copyright infringement anymore, right? Because it's we're at a point now where you know it's it's one of the best marketing tools. So a lot of people use like a tube site as a marketing tool. So I mean, in terms of copyright infringement, are, are you kind of turning? Is that is are the tubes still a pretty big deal for you or? Well, it's it's kind of interesting to look at the the way that the whole tube site story progressed, right? Because, I mean, what a lot of people outside of the industry don't know is that a, a lot of these tube sites are owned by a company <laughs> that is part of the industry that also owns a lot of content production, right? right? So, um, when when the tube sites first happened, um, and and they were able to to own these tube sites and capitalize on all the traffic that was going through them, they were able to amass this conglomerate and kind of really um, make a killing off of off of sometimes pirated content that would show up on these sites, whether it was uploaded by users or as some insinuate that they uploaded it themselves, who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were able to make a lot of money and then they were able to by production companies and buy content to put on the tube sites, and uh, this seems to work pretty well as a model. <laughs> I know I, you just you just revealed their master plan. They're just going to one day shut down every tube site, and then everyone's going to just have to flock and, uh, <laughs> and buy their products. Everybody everyone's has gonna... to go to everybody has to go to browsers now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I, I can resonate with what Kate just said. I mean, you know, I watch the entire thing go from. Um, the tubes developing the one company, you know, Mance, if it was called at that point, um, did have a fairly large, uh, legitimately owned content library. Um, but they also had the whole entire user-generated content system where, you know, someone could get a membership at one of their tubes and start uploading things. And, well, if left to their own devices, um, consumers tend not to pay a whole lot of attention to who owns it. They just like it. They downloaded it from someplace. They're yeah. going to stick it up in their thing to increase their popularity and what that in fact did was create this massive conglomerate of um, a lot of its stolen content that was floating around which resulted in a lot of traffic coming in because it was so much diversity and so much variety. Um, A couple of landmark litigation um, that happened several years ago, one Pink Visual was the lead of, really did clean up the tube industry a lot. you know, because there were multi-million dollar settlements involved in these things. And, you know, for the most part, the what I call the premium tubes or the legitimate tubes are now using things like content partnership programs where the studios are actually supplying them with the clips, you know, to build their brand or, you know, uh, run advertising on a rev share um, with the tube owner. Um, it, it was, it was a, almost... I, I, I can't say it was intentional how it happened, but it couldn't have been better if it was if it was intentional, the way that it worked out for the tube owners. Right. Because basically using stolen content, they got 90% of the internet adult traffic. Right. 
ended up paying some fairly severe legal fees. But guess what? They've still got all the traffic. <laughs> yeah. So now everybody has to basically give them content to stay in the game. Right. Kate, do you think that um, there was a big suit in mainstream? It had nothing to do with adult, but uh, I believe it was Google versus Viacom and a mm. big, big uh, copyright uh, litigation, I guess. And uh, that was billions upon billions of dollars. And Google won. Um, do you think that set a precedent uh, that affected uh, adult at all? Or I think it had to do with DMCA. Correct me if yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, right? I, the, so it, it became very clear that it, it would be very hard to go after the intermediary unless the tube site owner was doing something severely wrong. I mean, because the intermediary needs to be able to sit like to not have to like police the the user generated content because it's so much work and just react to DMCA takedown notices, right? So uh, yeah, that that definitely set a precedent and and it made it harder for people to to go after these tube sites for uh, what essentially was a lot of infringement. And and so another problem with sending takedown notices and and a reason why people like would like to try to sue the tube sites directly or would have liked to is that um, on on these big porn tube sites, like you can send a takedown notice right away, but I mean, they still have a certain amount of time before they have to remove the content. And even just one day of having that content up there, I mean, these sites generate all their revenue from like the, the front page, right? And, and and after a day, like, that content is on page three, and it's like, it's, I mean, they, they already have new stuff up there. Like, they've already gotten, like, 200 million page views. Like, people have, have already viewed that content. So, like, it's, it's really hard. Um, so, I, I it's, it's, it's a really hard situation. Like, what content producers would, would like to try to sue the intermediary, they can't sue the individual users. It's like a whack-a-mole game, and... Mm -hmm. Basically, which, like all they can do is is try to use this as kind of marketing for themselves. Which I, I think you know I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with most of my colleagues that um, DMCA is essentially flawed at this point. Oh yeah. Um, the, the entire law it just it doesn't work. It's out it's outdated. It was set up. It's the Digital Millennia Copyright Act, meaning the year 2000 when Bill Clinton signed it. I think it was Bill Clinton signed the thing in, um, mostly towards Napster, and you know, music downloads. Um, and now it's a whack-a-mole game. I mean, there's an entire um, cottage industry out there um, of DMCA sausage factories. So that's all they do is they, they scour the web all day long yeah. and they send out automated DMCAs and then the tube takes it down and then it goes back up and, and it just goes round and round yeah. and round and round. Whack-a-mole was a pretty good description of, of the whole DMCA takedown notice process. But I mean, uh, and for those people that might not be aware of it, uh, Kate, can you maybe just explain what DMCA is and, and how it doesn't work for the industry it's trying to protect? Well, like I said, I mean, it, it requires you it requires the content owner to go and search for his or her content on these sites and then send a, a legal notice to the tube site owner saying, hey, you're using my content and please take it down. And then the the tubes the tube owner is then legally required to take action. But it's basically on the part of the content owner to go and and search for all this stuff. And like you said, like it's it's spawned this entire cottage industry of people who will do that for you. Sometimes with 
technological measures that are getting even more sophisticated. So, I mean, that might even eradicate the cottage industry at some point. But still, it's kind of, it, it is a whack-a-mole game because oftentimes, like, the users are anonymous. So you can't, like, get the users directly. And once the tube site takes the content down, it immediately reappears somewhere else. And it's it's just... <laughs> it's it's kind of an impossible situation, right? right. Especially like for these these porn sites where like one day is like <laughs> that's 100 million views already. Mm -hmm. What's the point, really? So I think let, let me let me sort of move into what's going on um, currently over the last you know nine months to a year is <clears throat> a lot of the larger producers. I'm thinking specifically Corbin Fisher, the gay producer. Um, you know, is working with Mark Randaza. Uh, the attorney and Jason Tucker um, from Starship Media or whatever. It's, it's got some really cool names. Lightship. Uh, Lightship, something like that. Um, <laughs> so no longer is it like playing whack-a-mole, but there's some serious hardball being played with as far as litigation um, against both tubes and more so against torrents and file shares. Uh, where, do you, where do you think that's going? Because there's some fairly serious money changing hands at this point as far as the owners of these file shares and tubes basically paying off to make it go away and DMCA is no longer part of the process. Observations on that? Mega Upload actually, just to toss this in, Mega Upload was a big case recently and he got taken down and yeah. he got put in jail or something. There has been, yeah, so a lot of people have been uh, recently really digging into like BitTorrent, like suing BitTorrent file shares and also going after these locker sites and have been successful to a certain extent, um, especially like with the lockers and stuff. Where I'm not so sure, what I'm not so sure about where it's going is the end user litigation, like the yeah. these John Doe lawsuits. Mm -hmm. Because, um, I mean, what you hear is very mixed. Some companies claim that they can make, make money off of that, like recoup their costs with that. Uh, it seems to be a lot of the, the gay companies like Corbin Fisher mm -hmm. uh, where one could imagine that users are very, very quick and likely to pay up rather than face mm -hmm. um, their their private like sexual preferences being exposed, especially in that area. And I mean, one hears of tactics that lawyers are using. Uh, some of them even like using shaming tactics, but even those that aren't that are just sending out completely legitimate like settlement letters mm. um, are getting smacked down actually by judges. Um, there have been a number of recent cases because it just it, it looks like extortion, right? I mean yep. people are obviously going to pay when it's about porn. So mm. they're not getting a lot of support from the legal system. Um, Sometimes it's hard to get money from people as well. Um, I've, a lot of producers tell me that they don't really want to bother with this, with the BitTorrent litigation. Another thing is like the that shows lacking support from the legal system. I've talked to people who work in courts, and they are all so frustrated with these lawsuits because it's basically like you you bunch a bunch of people together and you're just trying to get like their addresses and, yep. and their contact info and you have no intention of taking them to court of course because like that would you be just a financial want the thousand dollars from each of the 3500 people and right or, or whatever creates, the settlement demand is right but it creates so much paperwork for the courts that they mm -hmm. they, they hate this stuff i'm, like, sure, I'm sure they, they do can, they can make it hard for you they will yeah <laughs> I mean, there's a fascinating thing going on right now this week um, 
Oren, which is the one that's in the news right now. Um, have you been following the Oren um, um, litigation? Yeah, yeah, a little, a little. Um, you know, all of affiliate program. All, How all of their, all of, all of their funds have been, you know, tied up and seized. Their PayPal account, their CC bill account. Um, you know, a federal judge has basically, you know, put the money in a seizure status. Um, and it was kind of looking bad for them because they didn't really have any money available to fight this massive lawsuit initiated by Corbin Fisher. So they leaked it out a couple of days ago. I don't know if you caught this. They went back to Rendaza and the legal crew and said, Oren said, well, if you cut us a break, on what we have to pay you, we will give you our entire user database of all of the identifying information for our members, and you can go after them. What? So the actual I did not torrent. Hear this. Oh yeah, check the uh, check XBiz and AVN. It's been in the news the last couple of days. Um, Is that not? Does that not violate a whole range of like privacy poly policy laws? I'm sure laws it does. I'm sure it does. But oh. Oren offered up to the you know the the legal team. They said, you know, we'll, we'll out all these members that stole this content. We'll give you complete records of who downloaded what, and you can go after them and leave us alone. So what I want to know is how did Mark react to that? Yeah, that's the question. I haven't, heard, I haven't talked to Mark yet, but I'm sure Mark uh, – <laughs> no, actually, Mark did respond to that just um, very politely. He said, there are things that are being discussed that should not be disclosed publicly, and sort of shame on them for just putting that out there. To just muddy the waters even further, and then he didn't say anything more. So, well, hopefully he's not like we're we're discussing it, and then takes it. No, no, he just he <laughs> basically like, said, you know, shame on you for even saying that okay. to anybody, leaking that information out. Right, right. That's well, sweet. well, good on him then, because that that would so, be all kinds of messed up. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole it's 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 messy right now, and people are trying everything they can. Um, but like coming back to the like the intuition behind my project, I, I think that so what what all of the producers basically told me is that yes, they will try and have an anti piracy strategy and they will try to engage in these lawsuits, but that's not going to be enough. Um, and they are also looking at changing their business models because the the only way to survive um, this current situation is not to like go the same road as like the music industry and like try to hold on to these old business models. Right. Mm -hmm. But to have like a, a three-pronged strategy of like technological measures, legal measures, and just like really trying to be creative in what you sell to consumers. Mm -hmm. It's pretty difficult though. I mean, with our industry, it's a little bit different. Like I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, being a self-proclaimed gaming nerd. Um, you, you know, you look at games like League of Legends, World of Tanks, you have MechWarrior coming out. All of these are free-to-play games, absolutely 100% free-to-play. And then you can, you can buy cosmetic changes, you can, you can buy, you know, side grades, as they call them, not upgrades, so that people that are uh, paying aren't getting unfair advantages. But, um, you know, those are all microtransactions, the 75 cents for a new skin to make your gun look different or whatever, you know. Um, how, how do you do that in adults, you know, and have you stumbled across anyone that's trying to do something like that? Yeah, people are starting to get into that. And I, I like personally, I think it would be th that would be an amazing opportunity to make money. The problem with games is that um, as of now, the adult industry is still not able to use the same marketing channels and the same like retail outlets as normal games. So 
they they're at a really big disadvantage there. Like you you can't you're not going to be able to sell your game at Walmart. You can only sell it online. No, no, I mean I mean more in terms of like using that kind of microtransaction model in adult somehow. Like well, I mean, not- let, me, let me throw let me throw in on that just, you know, from, you know, being a business owner uh, with merchant accounts and things like that. There's right, a very, yes. there's a very big barrier to microtransactions with an adult um, because anyone an adult is in a high risk category by Visa and MasterCard. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's there's a lot of things you're able to do and a lot of things you're not able to do in that high risk category. And one of them our transactions for under a dollar right. are almost impossible because the cost of an, a transaction generally is running at least a buck and a half per transaction just to get the thing through the bank. So right. if you're doing selling, oh, well, you saw the blowjob. Do you want to see the double penetration now? <laughs> uh, give me 75 cents more. Right. It, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work right. in, the, in the current situation with the merchant banks. Yeah. And the, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation because like, that's how other industries have dealt with it, right? A, a lot. Um, well, I mean, one, one thing that's been tried over and over over the years and, you know, with some limited degrees of success um, is rather than um, free to play and then 75 cents for a skin and 75 cents more for a gun or whatever, is that in adult, um, when you join, per se, um, fund your account for $20 and then you can spend it, um, you know, in little bits and pieces here, but it's just one transaction goes through. It's 20 bucks. Right, right. And you can spend it 50 cents at a time or 10 bucks at a time, however you want to do it. That's kind of adults trying to work around the microtransaction thing, but it doesn't solve it because somebody has to pay 20 bucks for (laughs) an untested product that they don't know about. Whereas in gaming, you know, they can try it a little at a time. And And the game is essentially free to play. So, I mean, you have something free to hook them and then... You're you're upselling stuff once they get a you know once they fall in love with the game or get addicted or whatever so yeah but I mean I just read recently didn't Pink Visual just recently start testing a game where you play it for free but then you can upgrade and they were saying that over fifty percent of the people who started playing it got hooked and actually paid to upgrade you should watch the most recent episode of Dirty Old Men TV <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I watched half of them I didn't watch all of them right is that La- it um. Is is that a is that the Red Light Center game that's been branded for Pink Visual? Yeah. I'm not I'm not up on that, but Pretty I sure. think it is Red Light Center. Brian Schuster, who was on the show just a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Well, then um, I definitely watch that. that yeah. That's a, that's a thing of beauty because it's a download, to, free to play game. You put it on your PC. You can try put it on your Mac, but it doesn't really work on a Mac. Um, you know, you can go in and socialize with people and flirt with them and whatever, but. You know, you can even hold hands and dance, but if you want to take your clothes off and have genitals, okay, bang, there's your VIP membership, 20 bucks a month reoccurring. Right. Um, you know, and then you can, you know, upgrade, buy different costumes and things like that. And yeah. Stuff like that. So it is being done, but it's being done in a gaming environment, right. which is yeah. much more controlled than here's yeah. your video content. That's an interesting question. I guess, are they not considered high risk because they're technically not adult? It's gaming? Um, no, That's it's uh, red, red Light Center. You actually, to do anything, you have to pay that nineteen ninety five oh, or twenty ninety five so per month like a as a VIP, and then on top of that, you can then purchase more rays. And I think the lowest cost point is maybe three bucks or something like right. that. So they're bypassing by a that. small package of these coins. Right, right, right. So it's kind of a hybrid between you know free to play in the mainstream gaming industry and adult, yeah. but it's still within a gaming environment. Although right. it's not a game, it's, it's, a, it's a world, it's a community. 
So one question um, for you, Colin, being the most experienced uh, with the industry over time, is what's your prognosis? Like, is do you think that um, adult content is getting more socially accepted nowadays? Because at some point, if if the industry could break through barriers like that, or, or be able to work better with with major credit cards and mm -hmm. and with uh, like mainstream marketing affiliates or, or so, like that would that would change everything. Do you think that's it's, ever going to happen? Um, um, in the United States, no, not in our lifetime. <clears throat> I mean, we're seeing some loosening up within the um, erotica for women category. Um, you know, because that's kind of like where they call it. They call it mommy porn, which is a term that I don't really like. But the Fifty Shades of Grey book and now this whole Magic Mike phenomena, you know, a lot of women are going out and buying erotica content. Now, erotica for women is kind of different than uh, triple gangbang double penetration bukkake porn for men. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm not sending this video to my PhD advisor now. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I should tone it down a little bit. Um, no, no, I mean, we're, we're slowly seeing a loosening of the taboos and mores um, in American culture. But let's face it, it took um, from the time that the pilgrims set foot on Plymouth Rock until somewhere around the time of Larry Flint to actually loosen it up to the point where you wouldn't go to prison for putting a dirty magazine in a cigarette shop. Um, very slow process. This yeah. country is, is difficult to deal with. Canada's a little bit lighter, but not much. It kind of goes locked up. Go to Germany, anything goes. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's on public television. It, it, so I, I hope that answers it. I, I don't have any, you know, and that's why we don't have um, SMS billing for mobile phones for porn is because the AT&Ts and the Sprints and whatever, they've all got their board of trustees and their directors and their stockholders. And if as soon as you say we're going to allow people to buy porn on their cell phone account, and no, you're not going to do that ever. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. base any kind of business model on on uh, huh. that changing. <laughs> the, you know, yeah. and, and it's really unfortunate, right? Because, you know, it, it's cool to, um, you know, to see someone's like neck being sliced on YouTube. But, you know, a, a pair of boobies is too much. Like, I think like society in general is a little bit backwards on that. Like one is awesome and fun and like, ask anyone, like, would you rather be in a fist fight or have sex with a gorgeous woman? And I think it's going to be, you know, uh, <laughs> I think this is going to be 100%, uh, you know, obviously having sex. So it's a little bit strange. But, um, I mean, there's, there, there's, it's, how do you, how do you, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without offending anyone, but like, how do you, <laughs> Colin already took care of that. You're fine. <laughs> he, he busted out the bukkake stuff, so I gotta. <laughs> what's uh, Colin? You're always talking about, and it's funny how sexuality has actually progressed a lot in, in the sense of what the internet has done to us. And Colin, you always reference that South Park episode. You know, you know oh, the, <laughs> the one in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, the, when well, the the internet ran out, and I don't remember which character, one of the adult characters in South Park. You know, the internet ran out, and he has to go find the internet, and they find him in a trailer, yeah. um, like a like a Winnebago, and they burst in, and there's like semen spewed all over the walls, and he's looking at the last internet connected computer on Earth, and everybody is horrified, and he says, "What did he say?" Something he about says, Japanese girls puking. <laughs> Once you've seen Japanese girls puking into each other's mouth, you just can't go back to Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, with that colorful little anecdote, we're going to go to a short break. 
And then we're going to come back, and I'm going to turn the tables back towards Kate for her observations about the adult um, industry from her travels to various shows and uh, forming relationships to be able to do her research. So we'll be right back. And we're back for part two of Dirty Old Men, episode seven with Kate Darling. Um, so the first time I saw you at one of these uh, shows, you had on a, a badge, like everybody wears a badge, so people know what to call you, and it said, Kate, MIT. And all of the Germans were thinking, Kate with who? Mit, never mind. Uh, bad joke. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I, I would get me. that if I spoke German. <clears throat> um, I thought I'd use that rather lame lead-in to just uh, <laughs> ask. I do ask, have a lot of fun with that badge. You do have a lot of fun with that badge. Um, but I wanted to, a lot of our viewers and followers of Dirty Old Men TV um, watch this to take a look behind the curtain of the adult industry and just kind of demystify a little bit because there's this whole um, patina, everybody thinks it's like Boogie Nights and <clears throat> Burt Reynolds and cowboy boots and guys. <laughs> you know, doing mountains of coke and wearing their sunglasses at night and just the whole sleazy pornographer thing. Um, so, Kate, you've been to quite a few of these shows at this point. You want to just, your impression, what did you think before you got there? What did you see once you got there? What are your current opinions? And maybe a couple of colorful stories. So, um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I was a little bit nervous. Well, a little bit is an understatement. I was very nervous before I came to these shows because um, I, I had no idea what to expect. I'd heard so many different things. Like I talked to this lawyer from New York who's, I don't know, he's, he's a little bit older generation, but he was like, Kate, you need to be really careful because the entire industry is controlled by the mafia. Like you can't <laughs> go there alone, like you're not going to be safe and you probably shouldn't do this project and stuff. And and so I had heard that, but like I had also read like AVN and X business stuff, so I knew that like there had to be some kind of professional business side to this whole thing. And <laughs> but but I was scared, right? And and then but I I went there alone. Like I was like, okay, I fought for this project for a year, and now I'm going to do it, and I'm going to go there and see what happens. So I get there, and it's and so I go to this first industry conference. The first first one I went to, I think was was it X biz or Internext? It was just one of the the just like industry only conferences. Yeah. And um, it I think was, was Expiz, in L.A. I think was your yeah. first your first yeah. show. And so I was just basically astonished, like the first day I was there, at how much like every other industry conference I'd ever been to. It was like like there were panels on billing and legal and like some of them were really boring like <laughs> it was not not the ones my that friends I moderate back home I knew, but... thought. my friends back home thought I was going to maybe some like playboy mansion or whatever but it was like it, it, it's a serious industry right and like the only difference real difference to other conferences on the first day that that I found was that when people asked me if the name on my badge Kate Darling was a porn name they weren't kidding I That's was actually that was going to be one of my questions during. during <laughs> it's my real name. That's that's awesome. You are a, you're blessed. Yeah. So usually when people ask me that, they're joking. At this conference, they were serious. Like, <laughs> and also they didn't know what they they kept asking me what mit was. And is it, uh, a, is it the German word for with, or is it a Mormon presidential <laughs> candidate? <laughs> oh, wait a minute, it's Massachusetts Institute of Technology. What are you doing here? 
<laughs> yeah, people were pretty surprised to see me, but um, I was also surprised by the, the willingness of people to, to talk to me also and, and share information. And um, I mean, some people did were suspicious and, and checked me out, like they called my work and or this one guy, he, he went through my whole Twitter feed, like 3,000 tweets and like looked at everything to, to make sure that I checked out, that I was okay. And then he saw that I was against SOPA and he called me up to ask me about that, which I'm so glad he did because like it gave me an opportunity. We had like this 45 minute conversation about it and like we really like traded some views and it was, it was a really great conversation and it made me feel a lot better about the industry too. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, and and also like at these conferences, right? I'm I'm used to like going to law conferences, and then you know everyone goes out to party afterwards, and sometimes it gets very late and very drunk. And at 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 this conference, I remember going out. I think I think you were there too, Colin. It was some dinner, and then after the dinner, people were like, "Oh, uh, my wife's pregnant with twins. I'm gonna leave," and like everyone <laughs> yeah. went home. Yeah, yeah. I remember that too. I was I was astonished by uh, by how kind of tame my first trade shows were. <laughs> it's just like, but but the thing is, like I heard stories about like the old and like I I, I joined the industry what in two thousand seven or so I think two thousand six yeah. two thousand seven and and by then I think most people had kind of uh, kind of blew their load as it were. Well, back <laughs> like, in, back in the, back in the late nineties when the industry was just getting ramped up and it was very much the wild wild west the trade shows were pretty much what you would think the stereotype of um, is when the amateur industry was still going strong so the producers would bring in 35 amateur video performers to entertain everybody in almost unspeakable ways. The good old days. Um, <laughs> once you got to about 2004 it mellowed out, became more of a real business. Um, so do you think that's because of the general changes that the industry is going through in that it because of all the difficulties, um, the ones that were more entrepreneurial and, and really professional about the whole thing survived and kind of the others died out? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, I mean, what happened in the, during the early days back in the 90s and, you know, 2001, 2002 is as long as you, it was almost like if you build it, they will come. Um, there, there, were, there was not much consolidation. There were no man wins at that point. There was, you know, three or four larger affiliate programs. but. It was, it was pretty much an even playing field and, you know, I remember back in the late 90s, I mean, we could pretty much reliably think if somebody put up a porn site and charged twenty four ninety five a month for it, after 30 days of operation, it would be grossing $30,000. Right. Without, to, without doing much, you know, just yeah. getting some Yahoo links and things like that. Um, you know, once you get past the, you know, the turn of the new, uh, the new millennia, things start to tighten up. Um, you know, there's a lot of consolidation happened, and there was a great deal of attrition. Um, a lot of people who did not have a business model and were just winging it, no longer were monetizing the way that they could sustain that as being sort of a very profitable hobbyist thing, and they just went away. Yeah, and between the the piracy issue and the um, the economy uh, in like 2008, I think that that really shook up the leaves. Would you agree, Colin? That uh, 2008. Uh, 2008 really was the Armageddon of the industry. Right. Um, that's when everything changed, and it's never changed back, yeah. and it probably you, never yeah. will. Yeah, so, like, how much really was, like, the tube sites, and how much was the economy? Because people always say, you know, porn is recession-proof, whatever. That That's obviously not true. I mean, the, 
the industry must have taken a massive hit in 2012. Well, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was very much a perfect storm. I mean, you had the literal explosion of the tube sites um, happened around 2008, and you had the literal collapse of the United States and a lot of European economies. Um, on top of that, you had um, the entire banking crisis. So people that did have credit cards that might have had a $10,000 limit, right. overnight they just were Lost told you, you have a $1,000 limit. Yeah. And, so, and most of the entire apple cart of adult processing is based on Visa and MasterCard, yeah. at least in the United States and Canada. So you know, without that consumer confidence because of the economy, unemployment soaring, people budgeting, and even if they wanted to pay for porn, there's nothing left on their credit card by the middle of the month. Yeah. So, oh, there's those tubes. Well, I can go get in, get off, and get out yeah. real quick, and it doesn't cost me a cent. So, yeah. it all, and it all, it, it really converged right around 2008. Yeah. So, it was a perfect storm of variables. And that really trained people to expect stuff for free, I think. And, and especially now, and they say like, you know, when I got in the industry, the saying was, and I'm sure it had been much prior to me getting there, the, industry, the, the saying was, you know, someone turns 18 with a credit card every day. And that's like your kind of new consumers that are, that are coming in. The problem also now is that people, the younger generation that are becoming of legal age and everything uh, are so much more uh, smart and know how to get stuff for free and are used, are basically mm -hmm. trained or brought up you know, not paying for anything online mm -hmm. and, and really get offended when you have to pay for something like they, they, oh, yeah. they it, it's, yep. it's kind of the culture, you know, oh, the, the, the entire, the entire great debate around when SOPA was the big hot topic. Yeah. Uh, just watching these guys from like anonymous and whatever, what they would say was, you know, we're defending the right that information is free. Yeah. And, and it's just, it, it's beyond me how people can think, you know, if you, if you eat a chicken dinner, at Kentucky Fried Chicken, should it be free? I mean, somebody raised the chicken, somebody butchered the chicken, somebody fried the chicken. Now you're going to eat the chicken, and it should be free because chicken should be free. But that's the only. I'm just saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> but the, it's just a copy of the original chicken. So you only yeah. made the, the first chicken. You <laughs> that's, yeah. Good it's like, wait a second, I don't understand this logic. But but that's actually a big problem. Uh, you know, all jokes aside, is that our laws are based around your example, Colin, right? And the laws have not caught up with the technology, I don't think. And that's why we have these dinosaurs that we call DMCA, right? Where it's like, yep. it's trying to moderate a world or, you know, apply laws to a world that, that the, the, the de facto reality on the ground is not what those laws are designed for. And I, th I think it's also a generational thing. Um, you know, I, I actively purchase things at the iTunes store. I buy music, I buy software. Um, you know, if I want to buy a video suite like, you know, Adobe Premiere or something like that, you know, I'll buy it. Um, and Simon, you're, you know, what, 25 years younger than I am at this point, something like that. I was so proud of you the day that you bought your first song. On <laughs> you actually, you yeah. actually spent 99 cents. I, I was beaming with pride because I'd been pestering you for a year. I said, Simon! Stop going to these places and getting stuff for free. Yeah, the, the music artists are starving because of that mentality. So, so do you, maybe it's maybe it's a as you grow up thing, and you have more disposable income too. Maybe you know. Maybe. I mean, our target market has always been a little bit older because they have disposable income, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Kate. Okay. Go ahead. Well, let, let's go back. I want to go back to Kate for a wait, second as far as anecdotal <laughs> stuff from shows because it's highly entertaining. Well, I, can, I mean, so one thing that, that I was very, like, struck by and impressed by at 
the first, no, actually all the shows I went to, was um, there was usually a, a panel on piracy, and at that time, SOPA was still um, a big discussion. And this was basically the first, um, like, entertainment industry that I'd ever heard have, like, an actual discussion about it at all, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the other industries were just all like, SOPA, we need SOPA, we're in support of SOPA, we need to, like, whatever, like, and, but, but in this industry, people seem to really understand that it was a little more complicated than that, and, mm -hmm. I mean, the Trade Association, the Free Speech Coalition, actually um, ended up coming out against SOPA, which, which was uh, astonishing for someone who's been to conferences with people from the record industry and, <laughs> and Hollywood who, who would not even have a panel and discuss this in a differentiated way and, and kind of, so that, that impressed me a lot. Well, well the there, was a was, sorry, there was a fascinating ahead. thing at the um, X-Biz show. Um, was it X-Biz, the one that just happened in uh, Florida? Um, yeah, it was the X-Biz, X-Biz Miami. Um, was, you know, I'm standing out, um, out by the cabanas or whatever, and Diane, I'm talking to Diane Duke, the executive director of the Free Speech Coalition, and she says, oh, I want you to meet these guys. And she brings over these three guys. They were from New York. These were the three um, attorneys and executive director of the American Songwriters Guild. And they had come specifically to XBiz LA to talk to people about how the adult industry were handling with piracy issues because, you know, because they're from the music industry. And, you know, I talked to them at length and they said, you know, within the music industry, there's just no discourse. There's no seminars. There's no structure. It's, you know, it's playing whack-a-mole and shoving crap into the iTunes store and hoping for the best. So they were there actually at an adult conference from, you know, the association that was founded by Woody Guthrie, um, you know, and banjo players to learn about piracy. I think the, the big thing about SOPA and the adult industry was during that conference or in a house of representatives or whatever, I watched the whole live stream um, when they were discussing this thing, um, you know, 45 minutes after they talked about pizza when they were, how they're, and if, if supper was going to be paid for. It was uh, that full of face palms. <laughs> that whole thing, yeah. But one of the things that, that a few of those people had said were, were saying, like, we'll agree to this. As long as it doesn't count for pornography, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I was just like, "Wait, what? Like, you're basically saying <laughs> yes as long as we this doesn't apply to pornography at all, right? So we, you know, pay taxes and and are you know legitimate businesses, and and yet a law is being specifically like ex, like excluding us. You know, I found that extremely, and I think that like alerted a lot, at least a lot of people that I talked to were just like, oh, wait a second, even, even if I agreed with this psychotic bill beforehand, I definitely don't agree with it now because I'm not being protected by the good things in it, you know? So it, it was just a, at that and, and how many times they use the word nerd in a derogatory manner. Like we talked about this on, uh, on the episode of Diane Duke and it's like, you're taking, you're, you're talking about the people that basically invented and maintain the greatest economic tool, uh, the greatest like communications device on the planet. Like this is taking our society to a different level and you're calling them nerds. N what? Why are you making decisions on soap? Like this is retarded. Like None these of people really have understood been. How it, how the no, internet even there was worked. one was... guy. If you remember, he was like trying to explain what an IP was, and everyone's just like fucking poker faces, like no idea what's like... going on. And this poor guy is just like trying his best to explain it. It was just, it was silly. But you know, I'm laughing, but it's so sad. Yeah. And well, and we won, it... so whatever. But there's <laughs> others. There's others that are you know in the pipe too. 
So well, let's, let's go back to anecdotal. Story. Yes, let's talk about porn and cool shows. stuff. <laughs> um, at the last AVN show, um, my wife and I had to leave. Uh, we've been hanging out with you for the entire show, but we had to leave before the the grand finale of the show, the AVN Awards. And, you know, people see it on Showtime, and it's all glitz and glamour, and Showtime presents the AVN Awards. It's like the Oscars of adult entertainment. And you, being only having gone to two or three shows, just kind of walked into this major media event. Can you give me the impressions of the AVN Awards? Or the Xbiz Awards? I think you went to those as well, didn't you? Yeah, I didn't. I, I only went to the very beginning of the Xbiz Awards. Um, my impression... I mean, but the, the most interesting impression um, was that a lot of people kind of hightailed it before that even started <laughs> because they had seen it so many times. Like they, they were like, yeah, yeah, we don't have to go. Like, to like me. Yeah. We hightailed it. Yeah. And yeah, like you and, and, and a couple other people stuck around out of a sense of, well, we're, we're supposed to be there and stuff like it. It's it's interesting how I don't know if this was always the case, but uh, a lot of people seem very focused on like the business and less on the whole like glitz and glamour and and stuff surrounding it nowadays. At least the the high players in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean the the Avian Awards, like I I don't really frequent that type of event <laughs> for the mainstream either, so I don't really have anything to compare it to. But right. It was it was fun. Um, so what what was fun for me was, and this was basically my experience, like, in, at all these conferences, was I would come, and um, people would be excited that I was from MIT. Like the and and it, it's it's not that my project is like endorsing or supporting the industry at all. It's just looking at it like scientifically from an economic perspective. But people were just really excited to have me there and I was excited and then I got to hang out with all these people that, that I knew. Like I'd be like, wow, cool, you're Ron Jeremy and Ron Jeremy would be like, wow, cool, you're from MIT and then like we'd hang out at the Avian Awards. <laughs> so uh -huh. the, I mean for me it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and you, and you got you've actually got um, you've actually got a uh, a moniker, a nickname, a very nice one within the adult industry. Anybody that's met you and hung out. Um, MIT Kate, darling of the industry. <laughs> that's an yeah, awesome well, like You've made, made very, very nice impressions on people. Is it, cool. is it true that if you graduate from MIT in like engineering, you get like a ring that's a bolt? Is that, is that true? <laughs> I don't know. I can ask. Cool. I'm, not, so I'm not graduating from MIT. I went to law school and right. already graduated, but a bolt, maybe. I don't know. I think that I, I, I remember someone telling me that. Anyway. Does it have to be engineering? I mean, because a couple of my friends just graduated. I didn't see any rings like that. No. I wonder no if it's bolts. only engineering. That would, that would that'd be kind of cool. Maybe. All right. So moving towards the end of our saga, let's bring it back to the here and now and the, the near future. Um, how much longer do you have on your project? Um, is it going into some sort of form that people can actually read it? Or is it going to become a best-selling novel made into a movie someday? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> what, what's next for you and in, in what sort of time frame? So I'm I'm writing the paper right now. Um, it's it I should have a draft online around August, and if anyone wants to read, it, I mean it's going to be an academic paper, right? It's not going to be a fun like article to read. But I would really appreciate it if anyone who like from the industry outside, anyone interested, would like download it and read it and and give me feedback because I'm going to be rewriting it before I submit it for publication. Mm -hmm. And also like anyone who who feels like they want to give me more input or anything, like feel free to contact me 
Colin has my email. Um, I'm still I'm still very open to gathering input for this. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be probably published in an academic journal journal and eventually. When, and when this uh, <clears throat> broadcast goes live this Friday, um, you're going to see it at Twitter uh, for Kate of how to follow her. So you can probably pick it up off of that as follow well. Follow me, although I, I tweet a lot about robots, so <laughs> <don't> <laughs> care. Nothing wrong with robots. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Hal. And uh, I've already gotten, I mean, this I haven't even written the paper, and it's already gotten some press. So uh, mm. I've gotten, I've, I'll be speaking at conferences about this, and, and um, yeah. I, there might be articles. Who knows? We'll see. Like you, you know, you guys know, sex sells. So yeah. this and, project and is going to generate a lot of attention, and I'm and I hope that it it gets taken seriously as well. Yeah, and it also manages to piss off little old biddies from academia that want to puke <laughs> on your shoes. Uh, it's going to be you know you should keep track of all of the flames that you get because it's just you know I, I came from academia originally, and I remember you know I was in the musical conservatory world, but just how stuffy, judgmental, and crazy people get within that, within that um, structure. Well, I mean, to be fair, it is, it is a very touchy subject, and for some people it's a very emotional subject, and the whole discussion surrounding the societal issues, like, I don't want to negate that that discussion is there, and I also take that discussion very seriously. It's just not part of my project at all, so, like, mm -hmm. I, I hope that other people in academia besides this person will see the difference between my project and the social issues that they are concerned with and mm -hmm. stop trying to puke on my shoes. <laughs> and I think with that, that's words to live by. Stop trying to puke on my shoes. Um, I think that basically brings us to the end of today's broadcast. Um, Kate, we would like to have you back at some point after you've got your uh, paper out there and it's number one on the New York Times bestseller list and they're gonna make a <laughs> they're gonna make a movie out of it and it's gonna yes. have like it's gonna have like uh, who's that who's that guy that chewed his leg off to get out of the cave um, James Franco. Yeah James Franco is gonna be the star. I wanna have sex with but James who's Franco be the star and I'm totally straight. <laughs> the porn parody. Probably Ron Jeremy. <laughs> I don't do anything for a hundred bucks. So with that, Simon, why don't you take us out of here? Kate, I want to thank you so much for coming on and thank you know, guys. talking yeah, to great. us. And love the glasses. Look so scholarly. Yes. <laughs> you have glasses too. I know, but mine aren't like you're like you got the whole Marion the or Marion the librarian thing going. With <laughs> They're big. Well, we're just all nerds. Yes. We're all nerds. <laughs> In a good way. Especially Simon. Simon, I saw in another one of these that you had a Darth Vader mug. Oh, yeah. I'm actually, I've been drinking from that today as well. So, sweet. Approved. I love my Darth Vader mug. Wow, that's extremely observative of you. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at uh, Simpatico TV, at Wasteland Movies for Colin. And Kate, what's yours it, for it's the MP3 Grok. listeners? It's, it's Grok, G-R-O-K underscore. Grok underscore. I know another Grok. That's interesting. Um, also, we have a Facebook page. Facebook.com slash DirtyOldManTV. Go there. Ask your questions. Hit us up on, on Facebook or Twitter and, you know, interact with us. We love it. So with that, thank you guys very much. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Kate. We'll see you guys thank next you guys. week. Thank you, Simon. <laughs>